Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. In this series, we are discussing CIC issue number 48, the dishonoring of God and popular spiritual warfare teachings. If you'd like to follow along, you can find that at the website CICministry.org. Now we've been talking about how they misuse unity We are going to pick up with a quote from Ed Silvoso that you can find on the third page of the article in the third column. And here's what you say. Silvoso asserts, these two elements, anger and grieving the spirit, allow the devil and his forces of wickedness to move into jurisdictions in the heavenly places created by our disobedience. Because Satan cannot challenge Jesus's authority, he then challenges the church in the realm of delegated authority. In essence, it is a repeat of what he did in the Garden of Eden. Okay, there's a lot there. So let's start with anger and grieving the spirit. How can anger and grieving the spirit allow the devil a foothold into the heavenly places? Well, there's there's plenty there. We've covered that over the years. Yeah. It's all an unbiblical worldview. Okay. Okay. So they start with the assumption that we've been talking about, that whenever God delegates authority, Whoever he delegated it to has it, not God. Right. And we've we've mentioned several times that delegated authority is not transferred authority. And so if God is fully in charge of his own universe. Yes. Then there's no reason to listen to any of this. Right. But most people don't believe that. So last week we looked at what Peter said on Pentecost about the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God that was led to God's own son being crucified and then raised on the third day. And humans were guilty for rejecting him, but God was still keeping his promises to send his son to die for sins and so on. And Peter proves that. So now we have back to this, Satan cannot challenge Jesus' authority, challenge the church. Well, when Jesus ascended to heaven, he gave a commission to the church. Yes. And what was that commission? To take over the world and rule it for him? And then when we're in charge, say, okay, Jesus, we did it. You can come back. Nope. The, the command was to preach the gospel. Right. The repentance for forgiveness of sins should be preached. This is in Luke Acts. Beginning of Jer- Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. And that's what happened in Acts. And I've been teaching on that recently in our church, in Acts 17, Acts 18, and so on. I've been preaching through Acts for a lot of years. The point is not that the church is going to fumble away authority. Now, the church does fail if we quit preaching the gospel, if we don't proclaim the truth about who Christ is, if we don't preach repentance for forgiveness of sins, if we don't preach the fact that the gift of God is eternal life and that salvation is by grace through faith and that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, which we saw in Acts 2. That doesn't mean 
whoever believes they have more power than anybody else and can heal all diseases and give revelations about what curse and know what demon to cast out and show that they have more money, more power, more whatever valued in their little system, then Jesus can come back. No, because those who are making these grandiose claims, and so also having been one of them, routinely do not preach the gospel. Exactly. So they fail the Great Commission and then create one of their own that's not in the Bible. Wow. That should be shocking. Well, it should be, but it's not because when we tell people that they need to preach the gospel, and here's what the gospel is, many had never thought of that. Right. Well, and here he says, anger and grieving the spirit allow the devil and his forces of wickedness and so on and so forth. What could grieve the spirit more than failing to preach the gospel and replacing it with a man-made system? Well, it would probably be evidence that we never had the spirit if we did that. Exactly. And that's what he's doing. That's what these teachers are doing. I, that's how, well, that turned out that way with this uh, Earl Polk that we talked about last week. Right. That became no, abundantly clear. A horrible, ugly scandal. And, and it was in the news and went on even until his death in 2012. And all this stuff came out, brought reproach on the name of Christ. But he was teaching this. I'm not saying that Ed Salvoso is the same way. I, I don't have the bio, biographical details on him. But just think of this. The Ephesians talk about grieving the spirit. It's saying that now that we are in Christ, by God's doing, and read the Barakah, the blessing part of Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. It's fantastic. Yeah. And it's all about what God has done to for us on our behalf and blessed us. He, excuse me, Ephesians 1, 3. So if you read it in context, you never come up with that idea. Right. If you have it there, could you look up Jessica? Ephesians 1, 3. Yep. In the meantime, I'll mention what, where this leads to. Okay. So we're already blessed. And we're told we're going to put on the new man, which is not incantations. But what does it look like to be a Christian who walks in the spirit? Right. Go ahead and read that passage. Okay. Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Yeah, so this is what God had already done for those who know him. Right. Okay, and if you read through that, and there's a series of, on the Gospel of Grace Fellowship website where I preach through all of those sections there in Ephesians, but to say, uh-oh, you're going to goof and get angry, and then you undid it all. Right. That's not what it's saying in Ephesians. We, we are blessed in Christ. Right. We don't lose our status as those who have been rescued out of this wicked world and are blessed in Christ. I remember yeah. when I preached on that, I just put up a slide to make it simple. Okay. And it was from Jeremiah 17, I think, verses 5 and 7. One verse said, 
Curse is the man who trusts in man, who makes mankind his trust. Okay. Blessed is the man who trusts in Yahweh. Yeah. Okay. You can go look that up in Jeremiah 17. So, and those are really the only two categories. Yeah. You trust man or you trust God and his promises. Yeah. And it's not that those who trust God do not have things that need to change, mm -hmm. anger or bitterness or whatever uh, would be fleshly, but we walk in the spirit. And in that context, it says, put on the new man, which is renewed. Yeah. Okay. So this passage in Ephesians 4, which he kind of seems to refer to here with anger and grieving the spirit. Okay. If you read the whole thing, it's not how he's applying it. I'm just going to read a few verses from oh, it. But so I'm going to start Ephesians 4. I actually, I am going to read 25 through 32, because here's where he's talking about giving the devil the opportunity. So starting at verse 25, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So these are exhortations to live in a holy manner that's pleasing to God because we have been saved, because we are blessed in Christ, not because failing these things somehow gives Satan access to the heavenly places. Right. There's so much misinterpretation going on by these false teachers. Yeah. Notice by whom you were sealed. Right. Okay. And what I preached on that I covered would mean either this mark it would be put on to show that it hadn't been tampered with. Yeah. But the point goes back to Ephesians 1. We are the Lord's. We're his people because we believe the gospel by his grace. By grace, you're saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. Right. It's the work of God. God did this. He sealed us. He blessed us. He put us in Christ. Now, in the exhortation section, it shows us what it looks like to live these new lives that we have by his grace. Right. And so the false teachers say everything hangs in the balance about what we do or don't do. And Satan may end up having jurisdictions in the heavenly places created by our disobedience. Now, this is really an unbiblical and ungodly worldview. It has nothing to do with how the Bible describes the divine counsel. Right. Okay. And in the end, in Revelation, the overcoming is the overcoming of the accuser. Yeah. Okay. So when it says give no place to the devil, it doesn't mean 
don't let the devil take over God's divine council room where we're supposed to be ruling. Right. That's don't give the devil an opportunity to tempt you into sin. Yeah. Well, the opportunity, uh, I I remember when I preached on that, I looked up the Greek. Okay. It would be a place to launch an attack. If we don't acknowledge our need to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of God and believe his promises and believe that God will change us and does change us. Later, it says to stand firm. We talked about that in the armor of God. And we start ignoring what we know God's called us to be and do without even caring about it. Well, yeah, that's giving an opportunity, but we don't lose being sealed. Right. Being sealed means we're not going to ultimately be tampered with. Yes. So here's what that Silvosa said, because Satan cannot challenge Jesus's authority. He challenges the church in the realm of delegated authority. No, this isn't about delegated authority. This is about believing the promise of God, growing the grace and knowledge of God, putting on the new man, which is a clothing metaphor. Okay. okay. The old man was put off. We came to Christ. The new was put on. The new creature in Second uh, Corinthians, it talks about that, isn't the same as the old. Right. We have new life. Mm-hmm. So all of those things which Christians who believe the Bible have always known, these false teachers turn into some secret for taking control of the heavenlies. Okay. Well, and so just thinking about that and what we've talked about having to do with God and his divine council meetings, doesn't God get to determine who's welcome in his council meeting? And we've seen Job one, we see, we see Satan there and, you know, in the throne room of heaven, that's up to God. That's not up to us. Right. And I, today, I remember we did some uh, material on that and I found it today. Okay. I'm learning how to navigate YouTube. All right. And there was a series that we did with Pastor Eric Dalman. It's called How God Rules His World. Yes. All of that's in there. It's on our YouTube channel. Okay. I don't you know can find it under playlists if you're looking for it. Yeah, Jessica knows how to find those things. Okay. So that's not how God rules. He doesn't let the church decide who gets authority over the earth. But not according to itself also. In essence, it's a repeat of what he did in the Garden of Eden. So the Garden of Eden is going to happen all over again. Right. And we talked about that early on in this series, that the dominion wasn't a spiritual dominion over all the earth that got fumbled away. Right. And Kenneth Copeland calls it, he committed high treason. Right. So again, these are not biblical categories. Okay. So then in your article, you go on to talk about John Dawson and you say this, the power of our words is considered a creative force that we have to establish God's rule. So how does the power of our words come into this? Well, again, that's the false teaching, the word of faith, dominion theology, post-millennialism and some versions of it, Earl Polk that we talked about. If we're Mm -hmm. sick, we said the wrong thing. And there's a lot of people, I've known people that believe this their whole lives. 
they won't say any negative thing. And if they're sick, they won't say, I have a cold, because then you're claiming ownership of it. Right. Well, the people that do that aren't healthier than people who don't. Right. It, it never people, works out that way. No, it, it doesn't. I've seen it. There are people, and this really gets to the heart of a lot of the questions we get. And we love the questions, by the way. We're trying to help everyone learn. Yes. So don't take any of this discussion as, oh, I better not ask questions. Because that's how we learn. Right. So look at it this way. If it's true that our words, our statements, our unity are either allowing God to work on the earth or keeping him from doing it. Okay. We really believe that. How in the world would anybody have hope and comfort and joy? I would find that impossible. Well, so would I, or so would anybody honest. But see, on TV, the, pur the purveyors of this, they look great. Yeah. They, they don't ever admit having problems. Okay. They make true statements. One person, this Copeland, who we cited earlier in this article, I used to see him on TV with this big banner, Jesus is Lord. What's a true statement? Yeah. But he has a different Jesus. Right. And so it doesn't add up. It's, it's heresy. Okay. Okay. So you have to know which Jesus. Right. And is it the one described in the Bible? And that's why when I preach Christ, I always preach who he is. Yes. So we don't get confused. Okay. Now, this power of words, it doesn't work that way. You know, some people maybe want to think about this because they're looking for symptom relief. Okay. I don't, yeah, I don't blame people. Everybody wants symptom relief. I do. Yeah. We have allergies. We like symptom relief. <laughs> right. We want to find out what we're allergic to and stay away from it. Mm -hmm. We want energy and we want the things that people want to be healthy. It's not wrong, but you can't use symptoms to diagnose who's right with God. Right. It Who's cursed. Mm -hmm. And I've actually asked people, have you ever known anyone who has no inclination of serving God, who thinks Christians are fools, who's lived a very long, happy, healthy, successful life? Most everybody will say yes. Right. And some public figures are that way. Uh -huh. like people, according to common grace, yeah. never ever confessed Christ, but succeeded and done wonderful things and are uh, eulogized at their funeral for and so on. We understand that. But if this is true, that the symptoms tell whether you're blessed or cursed, then why do these people with no interest in Christ show so many symptoms of being blessed by these standards. Right. The whole system is, is backwards. Right. So Christians who struggle and have issues think they failed. And people who renounce Christ and are happy now that they don't even have to think about religion and they're healthy and happy. And this doesn't always happen, but it has. They're not confessing Christ. Are they blessed or not? Right. No. 
Think about so, it. The Bible says, cursed is he who trusts in man. Yes. And no. that's exactly what they're doing. This whole article, this whole series, they're all trusting in man right. and giving the authority over the entire world to man. I know. And that's why when I was preaching in Ephesians, I just made a slide. Yeah. From Jeremiah 17. Now you might say, well, well, that was just the Old Testament. No, that's a principle that transcends all um, eras and covenants and so on. Right. Because if God's revealed himself, as he did to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the Joseph narrative, and Moses, and the prophets, and David, many of them had many failings. Right. They did. But he has, and it's still true. Blessed is whoever, male or female, who trusts in Yahweh as the God of the Bible. Yahweh is the covenant name of God in the Old Testament, is blessed. Yeah. I was 17. And it's reiterated in the New Testament. Okay. And so Joel 2 was cited by Peter on the day of Pentecost. This yeah. is that. Prophecy is fulfilled. Right. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Mm -hmm. Saved from what? That's a good question. Saved yeah. from what? It's it's not being saved from negative circumstances as being saved from the penalty and the power of our sin. Yes, and we know that because we have read the Bible. We've read the Gospels. We've read Acts. We've read the epistles. We're, we need sozo means rescue. Okay. So rescue, sozo, shall be saved means rescued from serious peril. Right. What the peril is depends on the context. Okay. So if the problem was a person was drowning and was pulled out of the water, they were saved from drowning. Yes. Okay? I just sent someone the narrative in John 5 about the fellow waiting for 38 years to be healed. Okay. That's very informative. All right. So John 5, why don't I just read that narrative and then we can discuss it. Okay. So begin, I'll just begin at John 5, 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of six people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? 
But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Dirty man. He yep. did it. Yep. No, I, wow. I've preached on that off and on over the decades, but the question, do you want to be healed? He didn't say yes. Right. He said, I don't have a man. Yeah. Okay. So there we go back to man-centered. <laughs> if a I man will a come man. do this. Always, by the way, the earliest manuscripts don't have that section about the angel stirring it. Okay. They did believe that's what was going on. Yeah. And Jesus did heal him, but he was complaining that somebody always beat him to the water. And then when he is healed, he rats he, out he, Jesus. Stirring his bed on <laughs> Sabbath. And so what's going on? Why are you breaking Sabbath? Well, I found out who it was. And I just looked that up in the Greek, and there's an imperative. Okay. Stop sinning unless something worse happens to you. Yeah. There's no evidence that he put his faith in Christ. Right. So here's the question. What would be worse than being lame for 38 years and sitting there in your misery? Being left in your sin. Right. Because he was healed from that. So what would be worse? Not finding salvation. Right. And, and I was, think people uh, tend to forget that. Not everyone who was healed was saved. Right. And not everyone saved was healed. That's true. It goes what both ways. The, what about the thief on the cross? Today yeah. he'll be with me in paradise. What were yeah. the others saved? Save yourself and us. Right. If you're the Messiah, why are you going through all of this? Yeah. So these doctrines are not really trying very hard to even understand what the Bible is telling us. Yes. And so John 5 is very interesting. I love the Gospel of John. Here's another one. Okay. What about Lazarus? Right. He was dead, and he'd been in there four days. Mm -hmm. And so... They say, well, he, he's rotting. And according to them, that's bad. Yeah. He's, there's no hope for this guy. He's rotting. And he came out. He was raised not to eternal life with a glorified body, but raised back into his mortal body. Yes. And, and, he, and people saw him. What did the religious leaders want to do in John? John 11 and 12. They wanted to kill him again. Right. <laughs> he was dead. He's in the grave. He's healed. He's raised out of there, his mortal body. Well, let's kill him and get rid of the evidence. Yeah. But well. Lazarus uh, being raised wasn't the resurrection promised. It's the resurrection to immortality. Right. Perishable must put on imperishable. Yep. And the irony throughout John is that Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus came into the world, but his own, that you would expect to receive him, rejected him. Unexpected people did come to him. Okay. And I love the Gospel of John. It's just beautiful. I yeah. love the whole Bible, but unbelievable. So here's the point. What would be worse? And so 
those, and I know that this is just the way we are. We do want symptom relief. Yeah, we do. But the only real symptom relief is the resurrection to eternal life. Amen. And if we don't believe in Jesus and we don't confess him for who he is, these doctrines are talking about Jesus, but in fact, denying him. Right. Because everything's contingent on man. He's not Lord. He's not sovereign. He's waiting for us to get our act together. And uh, listeners, I'm not, we're not saying this to make you feel worse about having listened to a lot of stuff that wasn't right. But we're trying to tell you that believing the truth and believing the promises of God and trusting Christ, no matter what bad symptoms may happen, is eternal. We'll, we'll participate in the resurrection. We'll have glorified bodies. If we chase after these different people out there that'll charge a lot of money to try to get rid of your symptoms, what good is it to have no symptoms and believe a lie? Right. Believe that There's you're no good. Unless somebody finds out the secret. Yeah. Wow. wow. So we're doing this to help people and to point people back to scripture, to understand what the scripture says. Some of these are nice people. I've met nice people that believe really bad doctrine. Yeah. But I've met nice people who don't even want to be Christian. Right. People can be nice and be unbelievers. The, the, nice the issue is not whether or not we're nice. The issue is whether or not we've been redeemed. Yeah. If we go by nice, I don't, I've never met the Dalai Lama and I don't care if I ever do. But mm -hmm. I suppose he's nice. Yeah. But is his doctrine going to get you to heaven? Nope. No. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others, as well as years worth of articles at the website, cicministry.org. While you're there, click on contact and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We want to encourage you all to stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramis. And Bob DeWay. We'll see you next week. <laughs>